It's so good to see you uh, tuning in tonight for uh, just a time of prayer. Um, I want to just wait just a little bit as we have a lot of people that are tuning in online uh, via Facebook Live uh, and or our live stream. Um, uh, I will say this, um, I've never done this before, and so this is all brand new uh, for us. It's brand new for us as uh, a staff, as a church, uh, trying to figure out how to navigate uh, through all of the uh, challenges that we're now faced with as the church, being able to meet together, uh, being able to come together. And so let me just say I'm so glad for online technology that no matter where you are right now, uh, hopefully you're able to maybe tune the rest of the world out uh, for just a time of prayer and a time to be together uh, in God's Word. Um, none of us imagined this time last week that we would be where we are now. And uh, the problems that we were facing this time last week uh, pale in comparison to the issues that we're facing during this coronavirus pandemic. And so I'm very grateful for this format, uh, for us to be able to meet online. But I will say this, I would much rather see you face-to-face -face and in person. And um, I can't tell you how much that it really pains me when I look out and see an empty worship center knowing that our flock is scattered all over the triad. Uh, there's nothing more in the world that I would want right now than to be able to hug your neck or to shake your hand. And uh, this is our reality, it looks like, for the next little while. And so I had recorded a video yesterday to really try to bring you up to speed with what our plans are, at least for now, as a church family. And since we're not able to gather together, uh, we've decided that our best and really our only option is live streaming. And so at least for the foreseeable future, I'll plan on being live each Wednesday night at 6.30 for a brief time in the Word and then a time of praying together. And then 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, uh, we'll be live streaming our service as well. And so uh, I would encourage you to just use these opportunities to gather together as a, as a family uh, right there in your living room or wherever you are. Uh, turn off all background noise. And I would just really encourage you to dig in with me and dig in with us as we, we worship together. And for the record, let me just say this. Uh, we won't be responding to emails complaining about how loud the music is or how cold or hot the room is. For the first time, you have control over that. And so um, that's on you. Uh, but I do hope that you have a copy of God's Word with you handy. Uh, I want you to take it, um, maybe a notebook, something to write with. And I want to share with you tonight for a few minutes on the subject of prayer, the importance of prayer, uh, especially in a time of crisis. And over the next few weeks, I really want to take Wednesday nights, and um, I want to briefly speak each Wednesday night from this subject, how to pray. Uh, how to pray. Uh, if there was ever a time to truly know how to pray, now is that time. You know, I want to look at several passages of Scripture over the next uh, couple of Wednesday nights that really give us uh, some principles about prayer, and then we're just going to spend some time praying together. And so that's what we'll do. Uh, if you have your Bible right there in front of you, you can turn with me tonight for just a few minutes uh, to the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 1. 
for the task of rebuilding an ancient city after decades of neglect, uh, you would think that God would find someone who had skill, uh, who had proficiency, uh, someone who had overseen projects like that before. Uh, That's what we would have done. But instead, God called an unlikely man to do an impossible task in a very difficult, difficult time. And uh, his name is Nehemiah. Now, as far as some background information to uh, the book of Nehemiah, uh, the book was written somewhere around 400 B.C., and the events that took place in the book of Nehemiah uh, took place around 445 B.C. uh, during the reign of the Persian king Artaxerxes. And if you are familiar with Old Testament history, uh, the Jews had been carried into captivity after the Babylonians had invaded Jerusalem uh, in 586 B.C. And the result of that invasion was the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. Uh, The Jews were carried away into captivity. During those years of captivity, the leadership of the world empire changed from the hands of the Babylonians to the Persians. And so Nehemiah was a Jewish official who served in the king's court. And really the book of Nehemiah itself is the record of a rebuilding project uh, in the war-torn city of Jerusalem after decades of neglect. Uh, Long about 536 BC, um, Cyrus the Great, the king of Persia, allowed Jews who had been taken into captivity um, to Babylon Cyrus allowed them to return to their native homeland and rebuild the temple that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed. And so the first group of exiles who returned to Jerusalem in 538 BC were led by a man by the name of Zerubbabel. About 90 years or so before the events of Nehemiah, it was Zerubbabel and those who returned with him from exile uh, who made it their mission to rebuild the temple. And we read about them really in the first few chapters of the book of Ezra. Now, the temple, now think about this. The temple was absolutely central, uh, the central component in the worship of Old Testament Israel. And that's the reason it was given first priority as those exiles uh, began returning back to the city of Jerusalem. In the third chapter of Ezra, we're told that once the foundation of that temple was laid, as it was being rebuilt, Uh, the people shouted for joy. And yet there were those who were old enough to remember the first temple, and they wept because it was nowhere near its former glory. Well, about 75 years later, there was a second group of exiles who returned under the leadership of Ezra. And uh, Ezra was a scribe who wanted to ensure that the law of God and the proper worship of God be restored among the exiles. Uh, The work that Ezra tried to initiate was really brought to a screeching halt. We can kind of identify with that uh, currently. But things were brought to a screeching halt, and things remained that way for the next 13 years until God raised up Nehemiah to lead a third group of exiles back to Jerusalem and launch a major rebuilding project. And so you come to the book of Nehemiah, and the first six chapters or so record the details of that project, and the last seven chapters record the revival that took place uh, among the people under the leadership of both Ezra and Nehemiah. Now, I've told you all of that to just simply say this. 
the book of Nehemiah really is an ancient blueprint for responding to crisis situations. Uh, It's not only a book that really articulates some helpful leadership principles, but more important than that, uh, the book of Nehemiah reveals the necessary steps to to experience revival and spiritual renewal uh, after a time of intense crisis. And we learn from this first chapter in Nehemiah that it all begins with prayer. And so if you have your Bible there in front of you, I want you to begin reading with me. I want to read uh, really beginning in verse number one. Uh, Notice that the word of God says this, Nehemiah chapter one and verse number one. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. You get into verse three. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we've sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost part of heaven, From there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And then Nehemiah says, I was cupbearer to the king. And so in this uh, first chapter of the book of Nehemiah, uh, the first thing that we discover about Nehemiah himself is that he's a man who has a real intense burden. And often it's a burden, folks, that drives us to our knees uh, in prayer. And really a couple of things that I want you to consider about Nehemiah and his burden, uh, his burden begins really by understanding the situation. It begins by understanding the situation that uh, the people had found themselves in there in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, Nehemiah was an ordinary man, but he had an extraordinary desire for God. And we're given just a small glimpse into who he is in these opening verses here uh, in Nehemiah chapter one. 
Uh, Nehemiah would have been the choice man in all of the empire to get close enough uh, to the king. Uh, Being the king's cupbearer, he had a very important position. And so he had a very trusted position. Uh, And yet, when a delegation comes from Jerusalem uh, with news of the exiles who were really living in squalor, uh, he's driven to his knees with concern uh, and a broken heart. And he begins asking questions. You'll notice he asks questions about the welfare of God's people. Uh, He asks questions about the city of Jerusalem itself. And it's interesting to me that he's living some 800 miles removed from the situation, yet he's a man who's passionately concerned. And really it's concern for God's glory and for God's people that's foremost in his thinking. And so God was working behind the scenes in Nehemiah's life. God is stirring up his heart to ask these questions about the city of Jerusalem, the condition of the Jews, because God's going to put it in Nehemiah's heart to do something about it. So he's a man who has concern. Uh, And then Nehemiah's burden. A second thing that I want you to consider is that it really leads to spiritual brokenness. A burden uh, ought to lead to spiritual brokenness in a person's life. Because you look at how this sort of manifests itself in Nehemiah's life. Uh, As soon as he hears the words of his countrymen, uh, he sat down and he weeps and he mourns for days and fasts before the God of heaven. So when faced with such news, he doesn't shrug his shoulders. Uh, He doesn't say, oh well, and go on about his life. Instead, the Bible says that he became broken before God. And, and he is compassionate. And so, folks, listen, the thing is, it's really this burden that's driving Nehemiah to his knees. And I often think that crisis has a way of doing that in, in a person's life. Uh, you know, a lot of people are talking about prayer right now. Even the president of our country uh, this past weekend uh, wanted Sunday to be a national day of prayer. A lot of people are talking about prayer. And a lot of that is because of the uncertainty of the situation that we find ourselves in. So Nehemiah is being driven to his knees here. He's a man who's going to pray. He's a man who has a real spiritual burden. And if we're going to be people of prayer, it begins with having a burdened heart, much in the same way. Then I want you to notice how Nehemiah's burden also results in divine confidence in his life. Uh, he's not burdened to such a point of despair that he, he um, feels like nothing can be done about the situation. He takes his burden to the God of heaven. And, and really, most of chapter one really is a prayer that Nehemiah prays. In fact, there are 12 separate occasions in the 13 chapters of the book of Nehemiah where we find him praying. And if anything of significance would be accomplished, Nehemiah knew that it would only be by divine strength. And so the burden that Nehemiah had brought him to his knees in a place of complete surrender before Almighty God. And so there are just some principles from Nehemiah's prayer here in this first chapter, some principles that I want to point out to you that I think will really help you, especially in this time of crisis that we now find ourselves as it relates to prayer. The first principle that I want you to consider is this, uh, prayer is an act of devoted worship. Prayer is an act of devoted, passionate worship. Uh, Notice there in verse number five, Nehemiah says, 
um, Lord God of heaven, the great and the awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. His first response when given such terrible news from his home country is he hits his knees in worship. Uh, He knows that the situation demands the help of God rather than the strength of man. And his faith is in a sovereign God who has all power, who has all resources at his disposal. And so Nehemiah knows God is sovereign and man is servant. And so when you think about prayer, uh, prayer is not us manipulating God really to get what we want, but instead it's God controlling and guiding us. Uh, It's through prayer that God often brings us in alignment with his will, with his plans, with his purposes. It's not about me getting my will done in heaven as much as it is about God getting his will done on earth. You know, I know a lot of you probably read Oswald Chambers, uh, maybe in your devotional time, but Oswald Chambers said this about prayer. He said, prayer is not a normal part of the life of the natural man. We hear it said that a person's life will suffer if he doesn't pray, but I question that. What will suffer is the life of the Son of God in him, which is nourished not by physical food, but by prayer. When a person is born again from above, the life of the Son of God is born in him, and he can either starve or nourish that life. And prayer is the way that the life of God in us is nourished. So, you look at what Nehemiah says about God here as he begins his prayer, and he acknowledges some wonderful truth about God. The first being that God is transcendent. He's the Lord of heaven. And it's interesting to me that Nehemiah's prayer really follows the pattern that even Jesus establishes in Matthew chapter 6. As we boldly come before God's throne of grace, we always begin by acknowledging that he is holy, he is infinite, He is righteous. There is nothing that's too great for him, nothing that's too hard for him. So really, Nehemiah is expressing his faith in a sovereign God. And aren't you glad tonight that our God is sovereign over situations in life? You know, as our staff, we met together briefly yesterday morning. um, As we were praying together, one of the things that was acknowledged is that our God is so sovereign, there is not one microscopic molecule in the universe that is beyond his sovereign and authoritative rule. And so he's the Lord over sickness. He's the Lord over troubled nations. He's the Lord over all that's going on in the world and he knows the end from the beginning. He's an absolute sovereign God and we place all of our confidence in him. And this thought drives us to our knees and really should result in confidence in our life. So Nehemiah prays, and and really his prayer expresses worship. Prayer is an act of passionate worship. Now there's a second principle that I want you to consider about prayer, and it's this. Prayer is an attitude of total dependence, complete and total dependence upon this sovereign God. Uh, Notice as Nehemiah says, um, Lord, let your, uh, your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray. So once you understand that God is sovereign and your heart is intent upon worship, you can then entrust him with the details of your life. 
And, and that's what faith does. The Apostle Paul tells the Philippian church this same truth in Philippians chapter four. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Uh, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but by everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Now listen to the result of, the, of, the, of doing that. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, the thing is, um, the peace of God does not necessarily mean the absence of conflict or crisis. But the peace of God is something that you can know and experience as a child of God in the midst of crisis, in the midst of conflict, uh, in the midst of circumstances. You don't know what's going to happen and uh, what's going to happen next. God is in control of all of that. So Nehemiah understood that he's helpless apart from the power of God in his life. And his prayer reflects an attitude of trust and complete dependence upon God. You know, I heard someone say this, uh, a prayerless Christian is like a bus driver trying alone to push his bus out of a ditch because he doesn't know that Clark Kent is on board. Now, think about that in your life. Uh, you, you feel like you've got to be able to respond to every crisis and you've got to have an answer for every question that someone asks you. Uh, that's not faith. Faith recognizes that God is in complete control. God is in control of the storms of life. God is in control of the good seasons and the bad seasons. And our faith is in him. And really prayer expresses that type of confident faith. Well, there's a third principle here in this chapter. Uh, Nehemiah teaches us that prayer involves acceptance of personal responsibility. Prayer involves accepting personal responsibility. Notice there in verse number six, he gets very personal in confessing sin confessing the sin of the people of Israel which we've sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. Uh, we've acted very corruptly against you. Not, we've not kept your commandments. So this is evidence of humility in his life. Uh, he's quick to make confession of sin. Um, again, pay attention to the words I, my, and we there in the text. The first thing that he's doing here is saying, Lord, I'm responsible. Not only do I want to be a part of the solution, but I'm confessing that I'm part of the problem. And I'm telling you, this kind of praying really takes guts. And it takes raw honesty before Almighty God. He's not simply confessing the sins of others, but he's showing solidarity with his fellow countrymen. And you know, there's something about our fallen nature that, that likes to, uh, we like to blame other people for our problems whenever there's an issue, uh, but, but, but Nehemiah's not doing any of that. Uh, he's humbly confessing his own sin, and he's saying, listen, if we're going to get right with God, it's got to begin with me, and that same attitude ought to be true of my life and your life. It's brokenhearted people who were used by God to restore and bless a broken world. They understand something about God's greatness. They understand something about their own personal responsibility, but they also understand something about God's grace. They understand the truth of 1 John 1, 9 that reminds us if we confess our sin, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Notice a fourth principle here in Nehemiah chapter one about prayer. Nehemiah teaches us that prayer is assurance of divine promises. We're given the assurance of divine promises. You'll notice beginning in verse eight that Nehemiah goes back to the law of Moses and really he quotes scripture. He quotes what he knows God has told his people to be true of himself. He's quoting from at least 10 different passages from Mosaic law where God made certain and specific promises to Israel. It's almost as if he's saying, Lord, I'm opening up the book before you Uh, These are the very words that you spoke. Uh, These are the promises that you have made to your people of old. And I'm claiming these promises right now in faith, O Lord. And you notice that he uses the covenant name of God that's translated Lord. All caps are used there in your English translation because this is the covenant name of God. The name of God that represents his promise-keeping nature. And so in faith, Nehemiah is calling upon the covenant-keeping God of Israel to remember his promise. And you know, one of the benefits of knowing redemptive history is this, because God has done it in the past, you know that he can do it in the future. And really that's faith, uh, New Testament faith expressed in prayer. We take the promises of God back to God as we get down on our knees. And the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the same God who brought his people through various trials and circumstances all throughout church history. Folks, he's the same God who we serve even tonight. This was true of Abraham's faith. Uh, Paul says in Romans chapter four, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. So again, God doesn't give us explanations, but he does do something better than that. He gives us assurance in his word. Promises that are in keeping with his sovereign character. There's one final principle about prayer that Nehemiah teaches us here in this first chapter. And it's simply this. Prayer is asking God specific requests. Prayer is getting very specific uh, with God. And you'll notice that's exactly what happens here in this chapter. After Nehemiah spent time in worship, after he's confessed sin and taken personal responsibility for Jerusalem's walls, after he's filled his mind and his heart with God's truth, he then begins to make his specific, specific requests known to God. And he doesn't necessarily speak in broad generalities, but he makes very specific requests. He specifically requests for God to touch the heart of the king so he could make the walls of Jerusalem his focus. It's interesting to me that Nehemiah, again, he's a man with connections. He's going to go to King Artaxerxes, but before he goes to an earthly king, he gets on his face before heaven's king, and he seeks the face of Almighty God. Chambers went on to say this about prayer. He said, we complain often before God, and sometimes we are indifferent. But we, ask, we actually ask him for very few things. He says, but a child exhibits a magnificent boldness to ask. And perhaps this is why our Lord said, unless you become as little children. So ask and God will do. Give Jesus Christ the opportunity and the room to work. The problem is that no one will ever do this until he is at his wit's end. 
And when a person is at his wit's end, it no longer seems to be a cowardly thing to pray. In fact, it's the only way he can get in touch with the truth and the reality of God himself. So be yourself before God. Present him with your problems and your requests, the very things that have brought you to your wit's end. But as long as you think you're self-sufficient, you don't need to ask God for anything. To say that prayer changes things is not as close to the truth as saying that prayer changes me. And that is certainly the truth. So again, when it comes to getting things done God's way, when it comes to responding to crisis, folks, I really believe with all of my heart that it begins with prayer. So right now in your life, what is it that specifically you need to take to God in prayer? Now I love that we can participate in this online forum. And so there in the comment thread, if you're, especially if you're watching on Facebook Live, uh, you can submit some specific prayer requests. We've got some folks who are monitoring this news feed. And um, I would encourage you, if, if you have a concern that you don't feel uh, um, any issue with sharing with the rest of us as we can pray for you, we'd love for you to do that even now. Uh, you can also go to our church website if you've got a specific need um, that you'd like for us, our pastoral staff, to know about it. Uh, you can share that with us via email. I'd encourage you to do that even now. But the thing is, through the blood of Jesus Christ, for those of us who are believers, the way into heaven's throne room has been opened up. And there's nothing in your life that's too big that a sovereign God can't handle. Now, I know a lot of people are, you know, they're scared to death with all that's been going on and... Uh, my news feed, just like your news feed, has been filled with all kinds of news reports and things that people have heard, and some of that's with wisdom, some of that's not with wisdom. You have to use some discernment with what you read and who you listen to. But folks, again, thanks be to God that we can take every issue that we have to him on our knees. And so that's what I want us to do, really for the time remaining tonight. And so right there where you are, maybe you're at home with your family, uh, I want to encourage you just to go, go to God with me in prayer. Um, right there where you are, you can bow with me. Uh, I have our pastors who are here with me also. I'm going to ask at least three of them to join me uh, here on the platform. And we're going to pray. And uh, we're going to pray for some very specific things tonight. Okay? Uh, we're going to pray uh, some specific prayer points. Um, again, the issue with uh, the coronavirus, the global pandemic. Um, the Southern Baptist Convention, um, our, um, our chief executive, the CEO of the convention himself, Ronnie Floyd, uh, had put out a request, uh, I guess it was uh, late last week, asking all Southern Baptists and all of our churches in the Southern Baptist Convention to really commit dedicated times of prayer uh, to what we're facing as a nation of people. And really specifically, uh, these prayer points were, were mentioned. Ask God in his mercy to stop this pandemic and to save lives. And we know that that is not beyond the realm of possibility with our all-sovereign, omnipotent God. And really we ask this not only for our community um, and our neighbors right here in High Point locally, but for various people around our state and all throughout our country especially places that are really unequipped medically to deal with the virus. Another prompt that they've given is praying for the president, uh, praying for other government leaders 
both at the local level, state level, um, federal level, and pray that really they'd have wisdom to direct us in the best courses of action as far as care and prevention and those kinds of things. And you know, the Bible tells us to, to number our days, that God would teach us to number our days so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. So really, we need to pray for wisdom, that God would give wisdom to us as a church. I personally ask that you pray for me and that you pray for our pastoral staff and pray for the leadership in our church as we're really trying uh, to, to figure out how to still do church uh, in, in such a time where we can't physically meet together uh, in groups of 10 or more. And so that's a very difficult thing because the church, I mean, we're the church and we want to be together. And so that's why I'm so grateful for these avenues that we at least have to be able to do this online. And then we need to specifically pray for missionaries, uh, pray for those who were serving uh, the Lord in different places around uh, the world. You know, we've got some dear brothers and sisters out of our own fellowship here at Green Street that are in remote places and those places are dealing with this pandemic a little bit differently. And so pray that the Lord would protect them and give them wisdom as they minister to those uh, in the area also. So um, I wanna ask a couple of these guys standing behind me to just pray in some specific ways. And uh, to begin with, I wanna ask Phil Reinerson, who's our uh, pastoral care pastor here at Green Street. I wanna ask him to begin, if he would just open us up in prayer. And Phil, you begin praying specifically uh, for those in our flock. Uh, okay. And uh, before I do that, I wanna share Proverbs 16:9. The heart of a man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. So uh, I'm going to pray specifically for families in our church and in our community right now. So you join me. Lord, in this time, in our homes, we're thrust together, sometimes feeling like captives, and we end up spending so much more time together than we had planned, or maybe that's normal, or maybe that's uh, this season of life for us. God, it causes stress. And I just pray for parents and grandparents and children and families that, God, in these moments, will endure away and not endure these days, that you'll give us grace and patience, that God will learn more about each other, those immediate around us, our family, that we'll learn about you as well, that we'll grow in our faith, but grow in our love and our relationships. God, we don't know when things will be back to the normal that we have called normal in the past, but we ask God that you have ordained this time that we pray that we will see you through it and we will love our families even deeper and richer through this time. I pray for families that are struggling with jobs, some that are struggling with uh, just loss of income, some are worried about their future and their, their careers, some are worried about their academics, that God, you would uh, give us your peace and your grace in these days that will cast our, our cares and our anxieties on you because you love us. And we ask these things in our God's name. In Jesus' name, because we love you and we trust you, Lord. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Thank you, Phil. Uh, and you know that uh, teachers, the school system, students uh, have been greatly impacted uh, by all of this with you know, classes uh, being canceled, teachers having to adjust with doing uh, school in a different way. They're having to learn how to teach online, too. And so that can be a very difficult thing, I can imagine. And so I want to specifically pray for teachers. Uh, we want to pray for those uh, in our school here at High Point Christian Academy. Uh, pray for Keith Curley uh, as he uh, leads his staff, as our teachers are having to adjust. 
Uh, and then for those, obviously, we've got so many who teach even in the public school system uh, in our church family also, as they're having to retrain and adjust how to teach and connect with their students uh, online also. So praying for teachers and for schools and for students. Uh, Quentin, would you lead us in that time of prayer, brother? Hello, faith family. I want to read from Psalm 75, verse 3, before we pray for our teachers and students. Um, The Lord says, When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. Uh, Father, we, uh, we pray that promise. We pray that assurance over our teachers, all the administrators. We're starting with our school right here. It is a blessing as a church to have a school that ministers and proclaims the gospel. Lord, I know these teachers are working hard just having to adjust Lord, on a dime and to try their best to educate Lord, their students that they love and they care for and they pray for. Lord, so just give them strength, give them peace, give them wisdom. Lord, steady them, Lord, as I'm sure they feel like they're tottering, Lord, as the whole world is, God. I pray that you would anoint Keith and all of our principals, Mr. Guida and Mr. Prohaska, Lord, and all those in charge. Just give them wisdom and just give them just freedom from anxiety, Lord, just to have a non-anxious presence, Lord, to have reasonableness of, of mind because they know that you're with them. Lord, and you're sovereign, you're in control, even in the midst of just chaos and uncertainty. We don't know what the news is going to say tomorrow, Lord. God, but we know you. We know you, and you, are, you have us in your hands. So bless the school, Lord. We pray for all those, Lord. We have teachers in our school that work in different schools throughout the community, our principals in our school, in our church, at other schools, Lord. Just pour out your wisdom on them as well, Jesus, and all the teachers. Um, I know my my own family, my, my mom and dad, my brother, Lord, all teachers, and they're trying to figure out how to teach from home. So bless them, Lord, all across this nation, Lord. We're in this thing together, all learning on the spot, Lord. So just, uh, I pray that you would just work, Lord, through, through even unfavorable circumstances, Lord, um, and just help these kids not to miss a beat, Lord. I know there's so much pressure with education, seniors in high school, and worried about college plans and grades and all, so much worry, Lord. Just give them peace, Lord. Jesus, you tell us that our life is far more than food and clothing and drink. You tell us not to worry about the basics, Lord. And so we can trust that that our lives are far more than than our education and our grades and our academics, Lord. So I pray for these students, pray for these teachers just to lean upon that promise and to find their life in you, Jesus, and let you carry them. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 And then uh, really for our president, for those that lead, I want to ask Blythe Wall, our student pastor. Blythe, if you'd pray for... uh, for those in government, pray for our president, pray for those who lead us uh, in a civic, civil government. Let's continue in prayer. Um, Father, in this time of uncertainty, um, we know that fear is running through our nation, our state, and in our city. 
And we just want to lift up those, God, who you have ordained and put in power, who you have put in places in government. And Father, through your sovereign will, work through them. Lord, I pray that you'll open their hearts to your ways, your wisdom, and your guidance. Lord, we lift up our president. We lift up those in his cabinet. Father, in Congress, uh, we have seen such discord and um, division. And Father, we need you in our nation's capital. We need you in our state governments, in our city governments. Father, help us not to be critical, but to be in prayer for these men and women that lead us. And Father, I just pray for those that are leading the church, that you'll give us wisdom. Lord, I pray for Brandon as he leads us. Uh, this is really uncharted territory for all of us, and help us to know God, how to continue to equip our brothers and sisters in Christ so that they lead well within their own homes. And, Father, that it goes out into our city and our state and our nation so that your glory can be seen, that the name of Jesus can be proclaimed, and that men and women, young and old, boys and girls, will be saved and know Christ as Lord and Savior through all of this that is going on. Father, we just thank you for your sovereignty, for your holiness, for those many things that we try to use words and describe you with, but God, you are indescribable. We just thank you for being you, and we praise you, and just ask that uh, you continue to lead and guide us and help us to follow in obedience. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, thank you very much. You know, um, there in your news feed, it's, uh, it's encouraging to just see how many of you uh, also have just such a burdened heart and so many different uh, prayer concerns that you've you've shared. Janice shares, uh, pray for our police, our police chief Schultz, pray for safety and cover them with health protection uh, during this pandemic. And so those who uh, lead in just a number of ways, uh, we certainly uh, want to pray that God would give them wisdom and grace. Um, many of you perhaps are even having to readjust uh, even your business. Uh, I think about the restaurant closures and those kinds of things. Uh, someone mentioned uh, various layoffs, a loved one that they had uh, who had to lay off 180 people. And so our prayer is certainly with those uh, men and women who have been laid off uh, during this uh, just, just time of crisis is just the best way that I can describe it. And so, Lord, in Jesus' name, uh, just thank you for the privilege we have of coming before you in prayer. You are the God of heaven, and there is nothing that's too hard for you, O God. And Lord, just as Nehemiah, his heart was burdened uh, when he heard news of a crisis situation, 
he took the issue to the God of heaven. And it's a sovereign God in whom he trusted. He's also the sovereign God who is Lord of our lives, who's Lord over storms, Lord over sickness. And Lord Jesus, thank you. Lord, thank you for the cross that you laid down your life for us, that you suffered and bled and died for our sins. And that on the third day, you were raised to life again. And that no matter who a person is or what a person has experienced in life, they can be saved by repenting of their sin and placing their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, my prayer is that there'll be people all over the world who will be able to say, I came to Christ during the coronavirus pandemic. That it was a situation that brought them to their knees, that stripped them of self-sufficiency. And Father, as, as things in our country, as the economy has been hit, uh, Lord, as the financial system has taken a hit, as the sports world is reeling and rocking, uh, as the church and the way that we've done church, uh, Lord, has taken a major hit. Father, my prayer is that as people are sensitive, Lord, that you would move in such a powerful way. God, that we'd have opportunities to share Christ. Lord, our one, who's your one? This emphasis that we are still uh, emphasizing in our fellowship here at Green Street. Lord, there are gonna be countless opportunities for us to have conversations with people and to share the gospel of Christ. And so I pray, Lord, that we would uh, look for those opportunities as we interact uh, even on social media. Lord, for the many guests uh, and friends of our church family who will be viewing perhaps our services online. Uh, Lord, that you take your word, just the seed that it is, that it brings life and that it changes lives. Father, bring revival and spiritual awakening to the church in America. God, may there be a great time of spiritual awakening like in the past, Lord, uh, with the great awakening as many came to faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, this is our prayer. And so, Lord, thank you for our time together tonight. And, Lord, I pray that whatever our people will be faced with throughout the remainder of the week, uh, Lord, may you give them grace and may you give them strength. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Uh, Listen, thanks for tuning in tonight. Uh, By God's grace, we hope to do this uh, every Wednesday night. Again, let me emphasize, Sunday morning, uh, 10 o'clock, we'll be broadcasting live right here from the worship center. And so I hope that you'll gather your family together as uh, we're gonna return to the book of Acts. And I really can't think of a more appropriate book for us to be studying during this time. You know, the the book of Acts talks about something going viral too. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ and the church. And so my prayer is that during this uh, time of pandemic, that the gospel would also go viral. And so you be praying. Uh, We're praying for you. We love you. And I hope you and your family have a good evening. Good night.